Okay. Yeah, looks like we are live. So, the story is this, okay? Um, so, I hit Jason up a few weeks ago, and I said to him, you want to come on the show? And he said, yes, of course. And I was like, okay, um, pick your favorite movie. And he said, I want to pick Lucky, uh, Lucky Number 11. And I remember you said to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that you have seen the movie, like, when you were a teenager, late teenager, is that right? And seven, eight years ago, because I, I, I remember when it was first advertised, and I was like, that looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have girls on dates, and I would show it to them. I was like, this is actually kind of good girl bait. <laughs> so, so the, you know, this, you know, there's sometimes my question I have. For example, when I watch like movies like The Godfather, I always doubt that girls are gonna like the, those kind of movies. They don't. I think, well, it says a bit of both, though. Like, mm. like look at the Bruce Willis character in the beginning. He's a con artist, a killer. He's a leader. He's, mm. he, I, I really dig his character in the beginning. And you, you're like, you're not entirely sure what's going on. Right. And you kind of have to go on this journey with everyone as all the characters go through it. Mm. So, Jason, you were watching this movie like seven, eight years ago. I assume you, like, like if you were, if you would do the stream without you rewatching, because you rewatched the movie for the stream, right? Yeah, it, it was it was weird. I, I totally forgot to watch it. <laughs> and then I'm up until about three AM last night rewatching it. Oh my god! Well, that's that's commitment, man. I appreciate this. <laughs> um, so, so the thing is, because I was rewatching it as well, and I shit you not, I believe I also saw this movie like eight years ago. It was running on german television somewhere like 2 a.m in the morning on some weird <laughs> channel i just i fucking don't remember i never rented this movie i never streamed it anywhere just like i just was running one time german television i was completely confused so if you had asked me to do a stream with this only one viewing i had like a few years ago i would be totally lost i needed to rewatch this movie and i was rewatching this movie i was still <laughs> confused in the beginning of uh, at least um what about you? Because I asked you, yeah, it's your favorite movie, and I remember, and again, correct me if I remember, you said something along the lines of, uh, maybe my view has changed since then, because you said, yeah, back in the days I loved it, maybe now, being a bit more mature, my view has changed, so did it. Do you, do you watch this movie now, and do you see it with different eyes? Oh, I, I see it with a lot of different eyes, from the, the characters like Josh Hartman and Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. You can see how there's times where you hate each other without mm-hmm. making it obvious. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very interesting because I, I really dig Josh Hartnett's character in the beginning where he's just he's just being a smartass giving no fucks. <laughs> and he's doing exactly what he's supposed to. It's making everyone emotional, pissed off. And he's just right. so go with the flow. No one can rattle him. Yeah, it's almost... Yeah, that's a little bit like the question... It is uh, smart as like the beginning. Yeah, uh, where he the, she comes through the door and then she leaves and then the bo- and then the the two black guys they're there from the boss just grabs him by the neck. You don't get this sense from him that he's really threatened for his life. He's just like, who the fuck are you guys? Yeah. Does it come? Does it come to you across as natural? Because I'm what, like natural to see his character or that it's natural for him. Well, that's the question, you know. I'm like, okay, I see this guy, and I think first, my first impulse is, wow, this is like a badass character. But is it realistic the way he he acts? Of course, 
if you watch the ending of the movie, it makes sense the way he acts, you know? So there's a huge difference. You can tell the act in the beginning, uh-huh. how his style and his character. Yeah. Then to the end, it's like unless you you really dissect the beginning and the end, you're like like the actor is playing a character, the character is very conscious of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I found I found it fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those movies where that's why I was asking you. It's one of those movies you probably should uh, should rewatch. Then it makes a lot more sense. I'm not talking like Sixth Sense kind of plot twist in the end, but but kind of yes, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a similar plot twist. Uh, would you say you you enjoy those kind of movies like with this huge boom? Uh, you haven't seen that coming stuff at the end. Oh, definitely, because it's you're watching him get threatened for his life in the beginning is. Mm-hmm. He's like sort of hitting on Lucy Liu, and he's like, "Who's this cute neighbor?" Mm-hmm. He's like, "Okay, yeah, whatever." He, he, he get that. All right, yeah, you want sugar? Well, ah, I'm busy tonight. Mm-hmm. He's more like, "My life is in danger. I can't date you right now." <laughs> and she still just comes back, and she just keeps right. pursuing him. He's just like, "All right, fine. I yeah, we'll do this." Hmm. Yeah, I remember. It's like. See, see what I meant by natural is, uh, yeah. When it comes to those two hitmen who, who get, who get into his, his uh, apartment afterwards, yeah, it makes sense afterwards. But the, the way he talks to to Lucy Liu's character and the way they interact with each other, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say this is like one hundred percent natural because it's almost I could be wrong, but it's almost like too perfect. You know what I'm trying to say? Like the the, the oh, way I- they bounce off each other that they're purposely performing like if you watch it too many times what was it you, you ever watch a movie so many times you just you haven't memorized you you, you just predictable yes <laughs> i did i'm guilty of that <laughs> like, like if you're if you're watching this it's it's definitely like my thing was i, I i'd somehow ask a girl if she'd seen the movie before and if mm. i she said she hadn't i'm like all right i know what's gonna happen mm. and i'd watch the movie with her knowing that she'd still be in her mind that headspace and watch this the first time she's like he could have died. Oh my god, I care for him. He's cute, sexy. He's Josh Hartnett. Mm-hmm. And then there's a love story. And now Josh Hartnett's a badass. <laughs> and so, like, we're on a date and she's falling into all the little scenes and emotions in the movie. And I'm like, and I'm the one thing there the whole time. Like, alright, this, this mm-hmm. is like, this is girl bait. By the way, what, whatever happened to Josh Hartnett, man? It's like, he has, he has been one of those guys who are like a really promising future, but. He kind of completely disappeared. I cannot remember seeing him in any movies uh, lately. I, not that I watch many movies, like many new uh, coming out movies lately. But uh, yeah, what the fuck happened to him, dude? Do you have any idea? Yeah, you had a point. He kind of like this. This one and like two other movies I remember him in is mm. that one where they they're in like Alaska or something. Just vampires appeared out of nowhere. Oh, th- thirty days of night, I think, or twenty eight days of night, something like this. Yeah. And then, uh, and then that one where it was like thirty days, where he was he was trying to not get laid for a whole month straight. <laughs> <laughs> I know this one. I just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Like I was... as an actor, he's he's fascinating to put him in a lot of positions where he's the the sexy, handsome man. Yeah. And then they just they make him strong and badass the whole time. Yeah, he's like he has this cliche, I think, because he did the the Pearl Harbor movie. I don't know if you have seen this. And since then, he has been like this cute, cute boy, kind of like, like the same as uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. He's he's became this like this uh, 
girls fantasy guy as many pixie dream guy you want to call it that <laughs> um yeah but he kind of grew out of it but the, the question is where is he now because I, I i really i really dig his 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 performance he he really can act and he can act very in very very different ways you know he can pull off the nice sweet guy he can also pull off the ruthless killer and even in yeah even in one uh, movie so i'm really questioning what happened to him yeah, it's when you look over the whole time of the movie well i mean let's even just dissect the beginning it's you see bruce willis in kansas city shuffle mm. and you're just hearing the whole story that bruce willis is telling you and he's like hey do you know gloria the hooker he's <laughs> <laughs> like you're not going to see storytelling like that in modern movies now yeah. like dude, that's she's not a hooker she's a strong independent woman it's like right. no this is authentic storytelling it's supposed <laughs> to be timeless yeah and also like uh, we, we were already mentioning lucy liu's character and she neither comes across as like too smart as but also not as too weak she's just like someone who it, it, you really like her in this movie right well yeah it's, it's yeah you, you go like around she tells you she's a corner you don't mm. realize she's a corner she's going off these missions on her own just casually conducting intelligence and wandering around the city and you're like who is this chick? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, the, the first time I was I was watching this movie, or to be honest, when I was rewatching it, the way they banter each other, the way they, they bounce off each other in the dialogue, it's really like as if they knew each other for years already. That's the impression I get. They know each other for years, but what they're doing is they're doing like kind of a role play, you know? That's that's what I'm thinking. So it's because they, they, they almost bounce off each other too perfectly. Uh, but it kind of it, works. It too you know? easy with the neighbor vibe. Mm-hmm. Because uh, well, you bring up this point. They, they, they act like they know each other for years. It's, But yet they bring him in. Like, he's just staying there, and he's a friend of, of what, Nick. Mm. Uh, what, was his, what was his last name? I'm, I'm totally drawing blank. Uh, but the character, Nick, he was in his apartment. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's joking with her, too. He's, he's just playing deception with everyone. He's like, was the door open or unlocked? He's like, I don't remember. And she just keeps going, like, unfazed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and those little details, you listen to them later, and you're like, well, was that written into the character? Or was she supposed to do that? Or mm -hmm. and it, it, It's like, it's trying to pull her into her emotion of what she's doing. She's just she's just so unfazed by him, unthreatened by him. And it's it's like that whole the beginning. She really has this vibe he gives off. Like he's just a handsome dude. Yeah, I got mugged and you know, my videos got punched in. He, yeah. But he doesn't advertise feel bad for me. He's really playful about it. Like, yeah, I was using my nose to block some guy's fist. <laughs> yeah, it's really... Yeah, like I, like I just said, Lucy Leo's character is like the perfect the, the perfect girl next door character. If, if there is some kind of trope like that, but I think there is. And she pulls it off perfectly i think yeah definitely definitely not the kind of character who will be portrayed nowadays i think like you just said it's gonna be more of a more of a strong independent woman kind of kind of thing she probably would have saved him in the end uh, if that movie got made in 2021 see that's that's the thing is that uh i think it would have killed the hero's journey though if she'd done that yeah, even if see, I, I'm not saying the hero's journey can work with a woman as the as the protagonist, but 
in order to to do the hero's journey you you gotta get a set of weakness first you know and they are afraid to 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 give women weaknesses at all nowadays you know that's that's kind of the beauty is that she's 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 her own character in that and then you would like to rewrite this movie with a with a, with a, with a girl language it mm-hmm. would be the same like josh hartnett brings back to how you, you complimented earlier as an actor is that he can play the weak you know uh, you can get flawed i would say like, mm-hmm. like how often do you you talk about publicly that <laughs> in a very upbeat manner like hey i just wrecked my car or this just happened or I just got robbed and my license is stolen and my girlfriend was cheating on me and there's right. cockroaches in my apartment and it's such an upbeat just like fucking burn my house down man. <laughs> yeah, like it's a... he plays the, the the weak role really nice, mm-hmm. but doesn't playfully. Yeah, it's see. I always try to. That's a little bit the motivation behind this channel. I always try to, like, say, yeah, steal stuff from your favorite movies. When you see something that you could say, okay, this could work in real life, steal it. And this is this is one of the sequences in the movie where I'm like, yeah, I would I would probably like to steal this kind of mindset, this kind of the way he the way he handles this whole situation. This is something I could steal for my own life. So what I'm trying to say is black humor is probably a nice nice banter to, to if something bad happens to you, you know. Oh yeah, it's uh, what is it? There, well, there's even a funny scene with him where he's just so unfazed. <laughs> uh, they they walk in, the the guy puts his hand in his throat, and then they push him down to the couch. Mm-hmm. He just keeps trying to get back up. He just pushes him down again. <laughs> he tries to get back up, pushes him down again. He tries to get back up, pushes him down again. And the whole time you're just like, as a as a viewer, you're kind of like laughing at this because you're like. Mm-hmm. If you're in his shoes, it'd just be annoying. He'd be like, "This guy's being dumb. Let me stand up." But as like a viewer, this is really funny to watch because he's just challenging him the whole time. Like, I don't know who the fuck you are. Yeah, I gotta be honest. The first time I was, uh, before I was rewatching the movie, I was briefly checking the trailer on YouTube, and I was watching the trailer. I was like, "Is this movie a? Is this movie a comedy?" Because the trailer kind of gives you the impression, and well, oh, that's see this. See this movie it's a marketing disaster I would say because because what kind of genre do we have here uh what would you say I would say like a comedy it's like yeah if if you were in the marketing department of whoever published this movie I don't know it was like fucking Paramount or Warner Brothers whatever if you were in the marketing department how would you how do you say, if if I haven't seen this movie yet and and he'll say, "Hey, David, you got to check out this movie." I say, "What what kind of movie is it? What would you say?" <laughs> well, and you did one too. I want to check. Are we able to drop f bombs on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, man. It's all good. I want to make sure. Then we'll just slip because I, I enjoy, like you said, the marketing. Would you sell this as a comedy or a love story or a noir, like a family movie? It's it crosses a lot of barriers. Yeah, that makes it really hard for because obviously this movie hasn't been a huge financial success and little little trivia on the sideline. This movie never never saw a German cinema. This movie wasn't actually this. It's it's yeah. I said it to you before the stream started that uh, Germany is uh, uh, film culture over here is a little bit meh. And this movie never got published. It got published in Germany, but it never was like brought to the cinemas because. People were seeing this the the title, 
it's hard to translate lucky number 11 into german it's uh, how can i how, how can i describe it to you it's they they didn't translate the title and it was also very hard to yeah that's that's a question i was getting to how do you how do you sell this movie to someone you because know? even that's confusing like all right in a lot of film stuff you can if, if your movie is bled you can sell it on the actors but then that's confusing too like why do you have robin williams morgan freeman lucy Liu, and josh hartnett yeah like, where else have you seen all four of those people together as, as main characters in a movie? That's it's it's just kind of like a beautiful and confusing about this movie. Yeah, it's definitely like a, that's what would say. It's uh, you see now now that you say it, all those like famous actors in it, it's almost like it's almost like a shock for me to to hear. Oh, this movie never got published in Germany because. Yeah, it's a, it's a summer blockbuster. I think it came out in 2006-2007. And if my people would have watched it, you know, just just uh, based on on the actors. And, and even like top of it, so we we're talking earlier uh, pre-starting about the content wise, like if you did right. look at the cinematography or like the audio on it or just those little aspects that as a creator you look at. There's really nice so did this stand out to you as much as me? The, the visual aesthetics, every little step of the way. I'm talking like the style. You don't entirely know where in New York this is the whole time. Mm -hmm. So you said, yeah, I, I've, I was just seeing that you like when I, when you said on Twitter because I was putting out the tweet and you you put it out as well. And you were mentioning actually cinematography. So, and and that's the bit the question that I was getting to before before we started the stream. Um, because you went to film school actually, and that, that that's interesting that you you see a movie in a very different way than, for example, I do, and you see this movie like you you pay attention to stuff like that, like like cinematography and all that, and yeah, what what do you mean like um would you would you describe this movie as stylish in in terms of cinematography? Just the the end, the, the beginning sequences. Look at the you get the vibe. But there's nothing that really gives you exact clues that they're mm. in an airport. You see gates, but I can tell you I've been in New York. It's, it's not an airport in New York. It's mm. just not the ones I've been into. This looks way too clean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Not to poke fun at Poppy there. <laughs> I know he's a New Yorker. <laughs> Shout out to him, man. Um, yeah, it's like... I, it probably it, it has probably nothing to do it, it has nothing to do with this movie but the thing that comes to my mind when it comes to stuff like that is if you have seen it the the dark knight trilogy and they did this very sweet thing with uh you, you said you came from chicago probably have seen a few things there that you recognize well even dark knight like there's just special scenes in the dark knight trilogy uh so now people know this but there's scenes where it looks like they're underneath in a tunnel and they're going straight. So that's where he's taking it from the jail and they got two, a semi-trailer. Mm -hmm. They're in the SWAT truck and a semi-trailer pulls up next to them and they're underneath this little area and it's like really confined. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're like, they have nowhere they can go left or right. They can just go straight and go fast mm -hmm. if there's no traffic in front of them. Well, that's Lower Wacker Drive. And in Lower Wacker Drive, there's always traffic and you can't just fly <laughs> through that speed. So like, as the person who's lived there and been through that, I'm like... <laughs> That's not real at all. 
that was that was the first thing I was thinking about when you said earlier that uh, you you lived a few years in Chicago, and I was like, oh, I, I need to know what was what was real in in the Dark Knight and whatnot. And yeah, interesting to hear that. Um, to, to be honest, I was rewatching this movie. I was rewatching Lucky Number Eleven. I didn't even I I didn't even know this was playing in New York. I, I swear to God, I didn't even know this was like the take a place in that city. I was so. I was, the coolest thing that vibed to me is the apartment. Like watching this for the, the recently, is just look at the wallpaper everywhere. Mm. I think there's this one. Sh there's this one very cool stylish shot when the camera pans towards uh, Morgan Freeman standing at the window, and then the camera does a 180 and and shows the other side of the the, the other building. Shows Ben Kingsley's character. Uh, that's a little bit where you get like a skyline shot and uh, might give you the impression yeah you're in New York. But uh, I was so overwhelmed by the dialogue and by the complexity of, of this whole of this whole movie. I was like, oh, what kind of city are we in? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I, it it brings me back to so when I was in, in film school, mm -hmm. they had us watch. Uh, this is this is our present for Thanksgiving. They had us watch Stop Making Sense with the Talking Heads, uh, where okay. they're playing live the whole time. Mm. And it wasn't until after we watched the movie, and we we're just amazed by both the sound, the performance, and the presentation, because in film school, we had like a really nice theater and five phones around us, and we we're just like, it's a brand new school. This is like royalty at the time. Mm. <laughs> uh, but we're watching, at the end, our, our teacher, who's just excited and full of energy and happy that he showed this to us, and he's like, did any of you guys notice There weren't any logos anywhere on stage, and not a single bottle of water. Hmm. And it's like having like he would do. He would ever watch movies and point those things out, and it's just how it trains my mind to just catch things like that in movies. It mirrors a little bit your pinned post on Twitter. Yeah. Doesn't it? Like uh, pay attention to the details or or to your environment, to your surroundings. It's something like that, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Well, in Chicago, I, I started getting to really doing photo there and landscape mm -hmm. photography. And I, I lived on the South Side for like nine and a half years. And don't get me wrong, I, I love the food in the South Side. Mm -hmm. uh, there was just a lot of very unique things about it because of it being the South Side and not everyone looked at it the same way, like as a money pit or a way to make money. Because mm -hmm. uh, there was a common trend that you'd have these old, beautiful, three, four, fourth floor buildings, apartments. They have a nice style that you could tell they're built like a hundred years ago. And it was originally the neighborhood I was in was in this Czechoslovakian kind of German neighborhood. Mm. And it had this really interesting architecture style. Each one looked a little bit different in its own way. And then instead of just simply tearing them down and, and simply gentrifying and rebuilding them, people would like spend a hundred grand on the building, the property that's just about to fall apart and put another 400 grand into repairing it. Just, they just look beautiful. They bring them back to life. Mm. So I, it, it really gave me an appreciation for a little bit of details and was visual aesthetics. Mm -hmm. When you, you, say, you said, and I, I know this personally, that you, you have this background of photography as well. You're a professional photographer. Um, where do you draw the parallels to, to film and to cinematography Because you said this is what what's uh, important for you when it comes to to personal taste and to photography, what makes what makes cinematography good cinematography for you? 
And and do you see any parallels to to uh, actually doing photos with a camera? So that was different now that I, I do photo mm. versus when I went to film school. Is the, the beginning scene when the boss's bookie gets murdered? Right. Is that you just see close? You see a wide shot of him walk into his car, and then a close shot to him, and another close shot, and then you just see another wide shot. You see like the bullet and the blood come through the car. Mm-hmm. This close shot, close shot. So they use the presentation of where the camera is and the angle to drive the story. Because then you just see him get murdered, and then you're just left with like open-ended questions, and just it drives your curiosity factor the whole time. Mm-hmm. So. Whether or not you like the story or it fits whatever genre you're pushing, mm-hmm. it keeps you interested. When you think of cinematography, is there any... What is, what's the first movie that comes to your mind except uh, Lucky Number 11? I mean, we talked about sound and you said, yeah, Wally and uh, Star Wars, George Lucas, all stuff. When it comes to cinematography, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, the first movie? This is a tough one because I, I like a lot of movies. I've really studied... A lot of content. Oh, we got time, man. <laughs> I, I'm gonna go a little dark on one that I'm sure. thinking. I, I have faith that you know of. Uh, it's called Requiem for a Dream. Yes, yes. I, I don't want to go down a dark alley, though. It's a dark movie. <laughs> it is. So what's your? But, yeah. In in Requiem, there's that scene where they put the needle in the arm. And then they like take a shot, and then, then immediately, like a, a frame later, it looks at like the heroin needle, and then a frame later does this, and a frame later looks at the eye going big. So it's just mm-hmm. within 30 seconds, you know exactly what he's doing every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Yeah, the question is then: is this is this cinematography or is this direction? You know. I mean, I, I zoom I mean, out to it this way. Is it's it's just storytelling. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm nitpicking. You know, I was like, this is a this is a German thing. You have to you have to forgive <laughs> me. And it's like, but uh, yeah, I'm always uh, when I, when I think of those shots, and of course, that's like one of the memorable shots of uh, Requiem of, uh, for a Dream. Uh, I always think like, was this the director's idea, or was this from from the cameraman? You know, that's that's a question I'm thinking about. This one's a very personal one to me. Uh, I, I I don't like Lodian, but I'll talk to him about it. Is uh, mm. in film school they gave us a project to find someone who's professional in the industry and is doing what you want to do, mm-hmm. and reach out to them and see if they could just have a chat about what they're doing and how they got into what they're doing, and what their recommendation is for you. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know Requiem for a Dream was until like literally a month and a half into film or a month and a half before this project, and someone told me about it. And I watched it. and I kind of fell apart to pieces on the inside mm-hmm. as I watched it. Because that movie will do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I was just amazed by how it felt so New York. So I, I decided, I found a way, and I brought up the idea, like, I want to reach out to the guy who did the sound design for this movie. I want to see what drove him and helped he come up with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and next thing you know, a part of the, the project in the class, two months later, I'm on a phone call with the guy who sound designed it. From doing an hour phone call and information and interview, they come in like a four-hour phone call and they're like two in the morning, and he's just telling me how he used to like tour with Trent Reznor and this was like his third feature film he'd ever done. He had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> he was just screwing <laughs> around with things and just see what happened. It was like it was a fun project. It was like it was just like that reality check that if mm-hmm. you know if you, you put the scene out there and you follow it, it might actually happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool, um, man! Wow. Like, like, example for in Requiem for a Dream, where 
she's Sarah Goldfarb. She's getting hooked on these these uppers. I don't I don't know what they are. I just know she's on drugs. Yeah. And she's like, "Feed me, Sarah Goldfarb. Feed me." And then like <laughs> the TV's going crazy. Everything's looking around her, and the fridge jumps at her, and it jumps at her, and you're just like, "Why is this just so intense for me?" I'm seeing the fridge moving, and mm-hmm. it's jiving. Well, so I, I was talking to Brian, and he uh, he told me he just had a metal garbage can on the street, and he would just jump it in movement with the the the, the, the fridge jumping, and he just sequenced it, so it would just rattle and scare the shit out of you. Mm. And he just had like a conversation. He's telling me I did these little pieces, and he's just like, I was just trying things out and seeing what worked, That's and so just funny. to hear that reality check from someone who was a professional or actively working in it mm-hmm. really opened my eyes. Would you say what would you say opened your eyes the most? Or what was the, like the biggest aha moment? Was it, like the simplest, like the way it was so simple, or so, you know, where you where you thinking there's much more magic behind it? I wouldn't say that it was so simple. I, I would say more so was trying and failing and just mm-hmm. continuing to try and see what you feel works because it it is a creative thing. It, it, there's no perfect realm. There's no perfect sound you can put in for that moment. You you could put an exact TV going up and down, mm-hmm. but it may not be the same energy you'll get from it. Mm-hmm. It's like you're mentioning Requiem for a Dream, and uh, we talked about Kubrick movies, and uh, <laughs> I think you I think you know which movie I'm I'm thinking about right now. It's uh, it's Clockwork Orange, I think, uh, which kind of Whoa. reminds me of it. A kind of a I believe was kind of a inspiration for requiem for a dream and also involves like this this very do you remember the scene where where the, where the protagonist is like in on this he's like tied up and his eyelids are like turned upside down or, or outside uh it's just really and and you know the the sad thing is i cannot remember the the sound is i don't know if, if if there's music played or stuff like that i need to i need to pay attention more to that you, you pointed it out to me now I, I want to see what the, what the sound guys are doing now. It's weird. It's it, it's kind of killed and, and made it not so fun for me because, like, I can watch movies mm-hmm. and I can just pinpoint if I was in the shoes of the person writing it, what I would do to help tell the story, and I can just like I can work backwards now. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a way I could sell this and make a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what you say? It's yeah, I said it ruined it for you. Um... Yeah, I can see. I can see why. Is there is there an ever experience where you watch a movie and you can like turn it off? You can like turn it off for two hours. You you don't consciously watch a movie or you get lost into it. Or are you always like a little bit? Uh, oh yeah, I can see what they did there. I can I can smell the production. It's it's tough. If I don't like the story or mm. if just something about the story doesn't drive me. It just it, it turns on even harder, and then I'm just like oh, I'm finding some more and more reasons to hate this movie because mm. you know how they made it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just when it comes to sound, or also when it comes to cinematography, or script, or direction, or anything like that? I wouldn't say script direction or writing. I I do study a lot of storytelling, though. Mm. Uh, I would say the cinematography aspects and in physical environments. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a. So so after realizing I was a failed sound guy out of sound school, 
in the, in the path to make money. So I, I decided to, I fell into the events industry and it wasn't the most glamorous thing, but it, mm -hmm. it paid the bills. So there was one where I built this big LED billboard with a, a company in Chicago mm -hmm. and we put it all together and it was in this big field on the West side. And you knew you were in the West side because we had the police involved and there, there was paid, you know, it was just, there's, you know, not tickets. There was another. Uh, we had the right forms to be shooting and everything like that. You know, mm -hmm. film shooting, not shooting people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be doing all that. <clears throat> and then in middle of one scene on the first night, so we were shooting this film. They were doing all these scenes from about eight o'clock at night to about eight in the morning. Mm -hmm. And you heard a gunshot probably about two blocks away. And we already had a few police officers on set because we had permits and everything. Mm -hmm. And immediately you could hear within minutes sirens going off because it's like mm. because we have permits, nothing bad is going to happen in this area. Right, right over, right, right, right wheels are squeaked. <laughs> oh my uh, God. But it was it was a big piece because it was basically I would say it was about sixty feet wide by about eighteen feet tall billboard of LED, mm -hmm. and it was just. It's weird because I've been there and I've seen it. I could probably show you a picture of it when I was there versus the final product of how it looks in the show. It was, it was a part of this show that was short-lived called Electric Dreams on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was like a – it was, it was – okay, it was Kill Others. Uh, it, was, it was something really unusual. It was like Kill All Others was the phrase. Okay. And it was meant to be vague and confusing. Uh, but there's just this big red billboard, and it's like, there's this, we're, we're, I'm on set, and I'm watching them go through all these things, and then I watch it in the final route, and it's like, I see a big red billboard, and I look around me, and I see Westside Chicago, <laughs> and the way they put together, and you just see this thing coming in and out, it's almost like a dream that it comes in and out, and it's sneaked in. It's it's really amazing that when they tastefully do things, like, VFX is difficult. I give people credit who do animation to truly make it look real. That mm -hmm. is expensive. But the fact that they spent probably two hundred grand to have this thing put out in the field for probably six seconds of usage in between is an addition within the scene of the, the TV show. Mm -hmm. it, it just baffles my mind. Is like if you truly don't think about budget and you focus on your story, those little details really do affect the story. Yeah, would you say, I, can, I can tell you're a sucker for subtlety. Would you say this is also something that get lo that's uh, getting lost? The, the further we go into the future. Uh, can, can you say that again? So so when it comes to subtlety, because this is, I believe, a good example, what you just described with the billboard, it's something I'm, I'm missing from modern movies, you know? So the question is, is this, do you think this is something that gets lost? Oh, I, I, they're heavy to me. They're very personal to me. It's, at least from what I see, and I, I appreciate those details mm -hmm. that people put in more work. So I, I brought this up earlier. Did you see what I'm saying when I said the the wallpaper in Lucky Number Eleven? Right. Every scene, look at the wallpaper, like mm -hmm. his apartment, or like earlier in the scene where it shows him in another apartment, realizing his girlfriend's cheating on him. Like the the the, the color schemes everywhere mm -hmm. are really immaculate, and it makes it feel timeless because it. It doesn't clue you in like the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, the whatever. Mm. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be another thing. It's truly trying to be its own movie. And now that you say it, it's really... Yeah, timeless is a very nice word. Because 
it was made in the early 2000s, but it does, well, mid 2000s for that matter. But it doesn't come across as a mid 2000s movie. It's very, yeah, it's, uh, timeless is a very nice word to describe it, yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, the, the theme of like your parents getting murdered by the mafia, yeah. anyone can relate to that. That's hard not to relate to. I mean, it's not to say that that will happen to anyone, that something should be fear of, or mm-hmm. it could go happen. But you're in a major city, and it's like something bad happens to you, and then, let's say, or we're going to ruin the movie, you're, you're able to, you know, you, you don't become the one that get murdered. Mm. But then, next you know, it leaves a whole curiosity, and you grow up 20 years later, and you're, you know, 28, 26, so you can't even tell how old he is. They leave it yeah. open-ended in here. <laughs> Yeah, you could you tell I kind of maybe at the end of his twenties, but yeah, it's I, I've seen this so many times when I was every time I, I do a stream on a movie, I always look up some reviews on IMDb, and many people were were saying the same thing. If you're a mainstream audience member, uh, then you should watch another movie. <laughs> would you Would you agree with that statement? I you know I I agree with that one because. It's it's not your typical movie. It doesn't feel mm. like you something you go to the theaters to see. It's something. It was almost personal to me. So it was like when you know when I was dating a girl and it was that point where we felt comfortable hanging out at night. Mm. You know, I felt like letting her into things that I appreciate that not everyone would understand. I appreciate this movie because it it just feels timeless. I don't know. It's I'm mm. addicted to that word. It, it's just a timeless movie for me. No, it is. It's okay, but uh, dude, I'm I'm constantly repeating myself on this show, man. Just uh. Alex is not here right now, but if he if he was, he <laughs> could have given you a few examples. So it's oh, like... well, he'll, he'll tweet about it later and be like, "You guys, I get it. You like timeless movies." Or, "Hey, I want to find more timeless." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's see the the argument that always follows me when it comes to when it comes to Lucky Number Eleven is many people claim this is like a movie for intelligent people, and I have a little problem with that argument. Would you? Which agree with that because it is it, it it demands your your full attention this movie if you if you don't pay close attention then you you're gonna miss out on some fun there but would you say this movie is necessarily for for intelligent people that's tough because i I think there's levels to it there's there's entertainment in it because once mm-hmm. you get past as soon as they bring Josh Hartnett in, how could you not be entertained by his snarky smart ass all yeah. the time? I mean, for some people, they they could just the jokes could go over their head every five minutes. I guess that yeah. would ruin it. If you can't catch up on his snarky smartass jokes, well, that's kind of your problem that you gave up on life. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking about just like this this tailored suit for for two dicked man or something. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What do you, you say when you drink? You know, when you dress left or right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it's like so. Yeah, this is also something that gets lost. There's, it's not a one-liner, but it's it is technically a one-liner, and this movie is full of it, and I fucking love it. Like, I I'm, I am afraid that I can't reference this movie to people I don't know, under twenty-five. That if I say Norman Rockwell, they're gonna look at me like, oh, yeah. who's is he a DJ or a rapper? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, what do you think is, again, because I said earlier this is like a marketing disaster, this movie, because it's really hard to, to sell it to someone. What do you think is the... Uh, what, what, do you, 
do you think is the target audience for this movie? It's tough. Like, it depends. Or do you think it's target audience when it came out, or target audience now? Yeah. Let's let's say we're gonna bring this movie out now. Which is it like for teenagers? Because like, uh, it reminds me a little bit of Fight Club. It's like those edgy. It has edgy jokes, and as a teenager, you're probably gonna probably gonna love Josh Hartnett and all this stuff. So it's gonna. I would say teenagers though. It's tough. I would say like you're 12 to 18 year olds, and then you're probably like 28 to 40 year olds because I don't think this would go well in college market right now. The, the problem is also it's R-rated, so uh, yeah, no, nothing for the kids. Yeah. Touche. Well, I mean, I, I remember being that young and R-rated <laughs> just in much more. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we got a we got a similar system here in in Germany, and uh, <laughs> I never paid much attention to that. Uh, yeah, really, it, it's one of those movies where it's hard to define them. You know, there are movies where I say, wow, this is like an action movie. Wow, this is a horror movie. So I was take a look at Lucky Number 7. Like, well, what is this movie? I heard many people said it's a thriller, crime, noir kind of thing. Could we agree on that? Oh, yeah, it's... It's got a lot of layers to it. I, mm. I would say definitely noir and crime. Mm. And I brought back to the snarkiness because think of like when Josh Hartnett, when he first meets the boss, mm. it's just his little actions there with just the random guy in there where he pretends he's the boss. Right. <laughs> like, how can that not be funny? I thought he was you. Why? Did you think you, you know, does he look like me? Mm. Where they're just, they're not touching at anything that could be like your typical answer. They're just playing along the whole time. Mm. And they're just like keeping it going. And then the boss is just like, I will kill you. Don't you make me. <laughs> yeah, the dialogue is really... Uh, Someone so paid close attention to it. Would you would you say, in general, this 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 is good dialogue we, we see in this movie? Uh, it's, it's definitely... It's addicting. Like, I love the dialogue. Cause it's got that, that improv style with your awareness of what your character is because you can tell like once Josh Hartnett gets to the point where once he's about to go on the date with uh, the fairy, mm. his character shifts a little. Mm-hmm. I, I have to rewatch it because although it would ruin it for me because I know the ending, I know that he's, he, he's planning this all. So, Ah, tough, tough. I need to pay closer attention to that next time, but uh, yeah, yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, everyone, and you haven't listened and watched this movie, just just watch it anyways. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I think if someone would would listen to this podcast, haven't seen this movie yet, I'm completely lost. <laughs> we're we're casually advertising. It's got great cinematography, like. There's, there's scenes in it where you're just like, how do they get the camera to do that? But mm. it really gets the focus on the people. Or like, just look at this this style too. So his his clothing kind of reminds me of uh, the recent movie, The Gentleman. Mm, I'm, I'm lost on that one. Did, did it came out recently? Uh, all right, you you got to see the movie, The Gentleman. It's it's got it was made in London and it's it's got a theme style to it where everyone's dressed really classy and stylistic mm. but you don't see like armani or hugo boss look the whole time it's very well tailored so when he after he dresses himself in the apartment where he's actually got clothes on mm. 
He's got this like sweater and his shirt. Mm-hmm. It's like really well put together male, and it all seems like it fits him well. So it kind of you know, this is another aesthetic that popped out to me that I'm like, you really you know you know who his character is in the beginning. Yeah, he comes. I I think it helps the illusion of him being actually innocent. You know. It's it's definitely the hero's journey edition because when the hero's journey starts when somebody's got like a a white shirt and a pocket protector and he ends it with a, a, a day goatee on or whatever you call it, an undershirt and like ready to go and flip flops mm-hmm. like it, it totally it just shows you where your character is you know, was and is because towards the end he's he's got basically a suit on and is and he's just got that his broken nose and his eyes just look dark but it's It carries him the whole time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did you say it? Yeah, it's now. Now I gotta say. Now I gotta ask you. Did you see? Uh, did Did you see the ending before it actually happened? Could you Could you anticipate it, or were you also surprised at the end? Because the end uh, completely blew me away. I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. Even though it was pretty obvious now, retrospectively. Did you Did you see it coming? Not necessarily. When I first watched it, I just when I saw them uh, kill the fairy and all that, I was like, "Okay, this is getting good mm-hmm. now." But that's my my action loving addicted person. It's like, all right, why is Bruce Willis <laughs> in this movie? What is Bruce Willis going to do? Mm-hmm. He's got that character going. He's going to do something pretty awesome. Yeah, that's a it's, it's not one of those like uh, surprising elements because at the end, it shows that he. It's also as this, as this person who has like, has like mercy for this little kid, but you you cannot you don't anticipate it because the first thing you see of Bruce Willis is he's this like stone cold killer, and <laughs> it's like such a nice surprise in the end. It's, it's it gives an interesting vibe when he just stone cold killer, ready to go at any moment, mm-hmm. and he doesn't leak that energy, he doesn't leak the signs of his emotion in any way. Mm-hmm. And you could see it, Josh Hartnett in the beginning. He's just like he's moving around. He's got his arms. He's he's so uppity and ready to dance that you just you, you don't sense it from him. Like anything's about to happen mm-hmm. until he walks in at the end. He walks in the room. He's like, Do you, "Are you familiar with the schmoo?" Ah, <laughs> uh, brilliantly. Yeah, it's. Uh, I gotta rewatch it now again. I rewatch now again. I want to see if because. The the thing that like draws me to to watch it again is, is there any is there any scene where the where the director where the actor kind of we can kind of see he slips through it the the, the the truth slips through it. Like, we as the as the audience see like ah there was a clue that he actually knew all along you know. Well, and, and another thing I'm not sure if you noticed, but I thought it was really cool. Mm. I told you what was going on without telling you. Remember earlier in the in the movie where he's play, he's in the boss's office. Mm-hmm. He says, "Don't move that night there." Uh, he's totally gonna get you in three moves. Mm-hmm. And the boss is like, "He's gonna let me win. They always let me win." Mm-hmm. And he gets in a conversation with the boss. If I beat you, you know, I, I think it's gonna take me a week to kill this guy. Mm-hmm. Then the boss is like, uh, three days. Uh, if you win, I'll let you." And it's kind of really cool. Now you're not only he's getting more stone cold as he's doing this. It's like, you're playing chess with a mafia, you know, boss Yeah. or perceived mafia boss. So it's like, you're in the environment. You, you kind of become the environment you're in. Mm-hmm. 
He also, what I'm interested in is paying close attention to how Josh Hartnett's character, for example, behaves when that there's this one scene that sticks to my mind is when, you know, he his family gets killed by by Bruce Willis's character who formerly was engaged by both the boss and the rabbi because previously they worked together, right? Before they they had this argument or whatever. I don't know. And there's a scene where Josh Hartnett is, I think, in the in the, the apartment of the boss, and the boss tells him, "Yeah, previously me and the rabbi we were good friends." And that's the reason. Uh, that's the moment where I want to see Josh Hartnett's facial expressions. If there is anything slipping through, I don't know, because this should be the moment where he said, "Yeah, I know that you guys work together. You killed my family." <laughs> I want to see if if anything slips through there. Well, even there was a scene when uh, he was with was it Yitzhak or the two people the the rabbi sent to go pick him up, and even in the mm. car, the one guy he's got Hasidic Jew with his his hair on his side and his hat, mm. and he's the one who like just straight up just punches him in the gut, <laughs> and he just just winks at the guy. He's like he wants to say he's sorry, mm. and you're you're like wait what? And he's like he's a mute, and then you like the little back and forth between those two. Is just hilarious. He's like, if you really, if you really want to go down that direct route, uh, he says uh, uh, he he doesn't talk. He's like, is he always like that? He's like, you'd have to ask him. He's like, why? It's personal. <laughs> he basically just like said, hey, he doesn't talk. You mm-hmm. could ask him. It's personal though. <laughs> He's like, I won't tell you why he doesn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> He's like answering your question without answering your question. Mm-hmm. So what I said earlier is like, uh, is this movie for for mainstream audience? Do you think mainstream audience is getting most of the jokes in this movie? I I want to say yes, though I, I I can't agree with that fully. Mm. With the level of jokes they have, though, it's it's hard not to like, even if it's your storyline, you can watch it a few more times and pick up on those things. Right. When I'm, I get kind of addicted movies. If I find a good storyline once, I keep rolling with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm like, see, see the argument I have against it. I'm playing devil's advocate here a bit, but the argument I have against it is when I'm a mainstream audience person. I don't know, and I'm not really used to to watch movies. I don't watch a lot of movies. I'm gonna be pretty fucking uh, confused one hour into this movie or even like 20 30 minutes into this movie you know what i'm trying to say of course this is like this old argument yeah some movies can be a bit too intelligent but uh would you would you say this movie might be a bit too intelligent for yeah mainstream audience i i unfortunately think you're right Hmm. because i gotta be honest yeah of course they're like those we have this garbage like fucking marvel movies or whatever yeah, stuff like that which just anyone could children can watch it like just anyone can watch but of course they they lack substance they lack style and all that but uh, i don't say you can have both and when it comes to this movie i think many people are tempted to just press the eject button on their dvd player and say okay after one hour no sorry i'm not gonna uh, i don't feel it you know when it comes to this movie can you can you see it as well I can see it, and I think it's unfortunate, because mm. we brought up Kubrick earlier. Yeah. Imagine, like, 
Can you imagine showing 2001 A Space Odyssey nowadays to, like, your, your niece or nephew that's 12 years old? <laughs> well, for... Do you even have the attention span to sit through that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit what I was asking before. Like, would this movie be published in 2021? And uh, that's with the question. I don't think it would. It really kind of disappoints me seeing those the truly deep detail level impassioned storytelling just kind of going by the wayside as mm-hmm. a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you you're kind of forced to. Of course, the payoff in the end it's worth it. You know, it's worth it. But the price is you're gonna have to you're gonna have to stay awake. You're gonna have to pay attention to the story, and then at the end it's gonna be worth it. But. It's not what people nowadays do anymore, isn't it? Not at all. It's it's unfortunate. Like even uh, Apocalypse Now was a mm. big one we watched in, in college. And a, a fun fact on that one is that was the first movie to ever come in at five point one surround sound. Really, I did not know that, man. And so. there's this fascinating details behind how they came up with like the sound for that because. Remember, you're told to come with a movie in five point one surround sound. Mm-hmm. You're given these tools. You're just like, well, creatively, what the hell do we do with that? <laughs> uh, like, the fascination is there's a scene towards the end where he's up the river, and in, in Apocalypse Now, and he's about he's getting close to finding the target he's after, yeah. and you hear it just get quieter, and it's right where he's in in that kind of war zone area where they don't know who the CO is. There's just like people firing guns at some unknown enemy, mm. and it's just quiet and it's eerie. And apparently, what they did was they they took crickets and they wanted to get the effect of multiple crickets, and it becoming more eerie as it happened. And instead of just getting a pile of forty crickets and recording them and turning the volume down, took a bunch of crickets in like a little area in a studio, mm. and then he uh, he. he did this backwards basically he slowly put one cricket in put another cricket in put two crickets in and slowly added one to two and he did this in a few different ways so he could pull out the sound of 40 crickets at once and pull back a little bit on a cricket pull back a little bit on a cricket so he could customize literally build one cricket at a time for this effect so it starts out loud like you hear the jungle noise and the crickets in the background and then he started pulling back one here's another one Instead of it just being like the whole crickets as a whole get quieter, mm-hmm. instead of hearing forty crickets, I only hear three. Oh my god! I need to fucking watch this right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have told me that. Oh my god! I need to watch this like as soon as the stream ends. It, it's one of my, it's it's one of my favorites. Uh, Apocalypse now. I'm a huge sucker for Francis Ford Coppola. And uh, are, are you aware of the of the production hell that Apocalypse now went through and and the whole crew? I've heard stories like from production suffered a lot in all levels. Like, mm. was it he had a he had a heart attack on it? I forgot who was the main actor. Yeah, and I think I think Coppola also lost like uh, two thirds of his whole weight. <laughs> it's it's so crazy. It's uh, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, like, yeah. I think Marlon Brando was constantly drunk on set. Martin uh, Sheen, yeah, Martin Sheen had a heart attack towards the end of the movie really? in, in production. My god, man. 
Oh yeah, and I also think Marlon Brando was <laughs> he has like he has like one scene in this movie. I know it's a really important one, but it's just like just one scene is it was doing this monologue two, three minutes. <laughs> he actually couldn't memorize it because he was so drunk. So he had to put like they, they had they had to write it down somewhere uh behind the camera. <laughs> it's so pathetic, my god. You can actually see it in the scene now now you know it. You can actually see it in the scene that he's reading. The lines from from some uh, what what a production hell my god. Uh. I I mean that level of detail. I guess we could appreciate it now that I tell you about it. Mm. But if you're on the front end and you're talking about how you need a budget so you could do this thing that's going to take you you know a day and a half just the crickets is one part of the the layer to the sound. Some people would think you're insane. Yeah, which, yeah, where do you draw the line? Because, of course, this is... Many people would probably say to you and me, uh, this is perfectionism. This is like an overkill, you know? But, yeah, wh- where do you draw the line? Because, as to me, it's beautiful. It's it's something I appreciate about the movie. It, it's also a thing that kind of angers me. Hmm. I wouldn't say angers me. It, it disappoints me. And how everyone says they're an artist, and it's a common trend, everyone wants to be an artist. Hmm. And I don't see artistry in the way that it used to be pre-90s on, where you could say this is sound art. Like, and he's doing a sound, the details, and in, in, mm-hmm. even in Lucky Number 11, versus everyone everyone now, they grow houseplants, everyone now makes candles, everyone now does this. It's, it's like, well, what is something that you are truly, truly passionate about? Mm-hmm. And then it your your level of detail as comes out as a result of it and that's what makes you a good artist yeah definitely but the the argument i hear against it is yeah that's an overkill a normal person would not a normal person nowadays uh casually casually looks at a movie on netflix not even plugging in uh, earplugs or something or not even to mention like a like a sound system or anything. It's just gotta watch a movie casually. Maybe cooking. <laughs> that's it. That, that, that's the way movie culture has become now. You know, it, it, you're not in a cinema anymore. You're gonna pay attention three hours in a. You, you actually don't have a choice to to look at something else except the screen because nothing else is going on. Uh, no, the, the movie culture now is uh, you're gonna open up Netflix. It runs in the background. You know. It's. It's, it drives me mad. Uh, well, mm. you're going to think I'm crazy. So when I was in film school, they told us this thing that was sounded dumb, but it was smart. It was that you have film plus you have video, or you have, you have picture plus audio. Mm. One plus one equals three, because the third one is the final result of the movie. Mm-hmm. But right now, I'm actually talking to you, and I listen to movies and the music on a Bane and Olufsen Bluetooth speaker, because mm-hmm. I know the difference. <laughs> As a German, I'm sure you're very aware of that. With Bane uh, and Olsen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like like yeah, like you did all this. Like you, you went to film school. You learned everything about sound and all, and all that. Could you ever watch a movie without a proper sound system again? Wouldn't Wouldn't it be like the absolute cardinal sin to to do this? It's It's difficult, and it's. I had roommates I would live with, and they always hated it when I moved out. They never told me about it till like months after I moved out. So, a sound guy, I had this, like, old, like, collector's 80 stereo that mm. was old, 20, like, 15 years older than me. And I had these speakers I got at, like, a used resale shop, but, like, 
there's something they belong in like a recording studio and i would always put them in the corners of my apartment and if i turn these up to six the apartment was bumping oh my god <laughs> and i would hook them up to the tv all the time so we listen to like television or just regular shows and stuff and i would know like i could listen to a television show and know if it was like a day's worth of effort is putting the sound or versus a week's worth mm. and then i could just immediately tell by listening to the sound like how oh, this show sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just it was kind of no fun but then they put on a movie and you listen to it and be like oh dear god <laughs> and i would listen to content like this like movies films and then I move out, and my roommate's always be like, "Oh man, I miss that." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I gotta say, I always prefer, of course, the cinema experience, and it always. Now it's a little bit difficult here in Germany, like cinemas and all, that, and the great catastrophe happening. Um, but every time I went into the cinema, and afterwards I came home, I couldn't watch TV anymore. I couldn't watch it on a laptop anymore. Because like, wow, I just went to see this on this big, huge screen. I cannot go back to my laptop anymore now. It always took a few days until I got used to it again. Because once you once you have tasted it and like the good sounds, the good huge screen, I don't want to go. I don't want to go back anymore. It's it's very special, and in the last fifteen years, I've noticed a difference in cinemas too. Is you used to go to the cinema and it was legitimately dark when the movie mm-hmm. went on. They didn't have any emergency lights and everything on. Mm. All right, fine. You need the real red emergency light down by the theater. But they would dim all the other lights, and you really were sucked into the screen. Mm-hmm. I don't see that. It's like, even when I went to film three years ago, it was still brightener. It's like, don't you want to keep me looking forward at the thing I paid money to come in here for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's the same here. I've actually never been to a cinema which is just, like, completely dark here in like. It's Germany, dude. It's everything is about safety. I have like twenty green lights with those exit signs. <laughs> Actually, it it drew it, it draws me out of the experience so often. It's uh, uh, yeah, but I miss it. I I miss the cinema. I miss the experience watching watching a movie for the first time with other people who watched the movie for the first time. It's 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 always something special. And uh, yeah, what would you say is like your favorite favorite cinem- cinematic experience? Or do you, do you have like this one this one movie you went through and say, "Wow, this was inspiring. This was the cool crowd and everything." So, so this may allude into why I kind of went into film school. Is uh, I had this my my, my roommates or my, my buddies in high school. Mm. They had a very eccentric dad, and we loved how eccentric he was. Mm. He owned like a business and he had a lot of money, but he was just, he was so confident and cocky. Uh, but he was like, he was proud of things he knew. Like he was into art. Mm-hmm. And he had this theater room basically where you could, you could basically make it dark. There was blinds you could close. There wasn't blind. There was actual sheets. Everything got really dark. Mm-hmm. And there was a good sound in there actually. And it was just a basic projector. And there was one time he had us watch his movie, The Great Santini. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell at all with you? Not at all, unfortunately, no. He would, we were in high school, and he was just so eccentric and over the top. We just follow him, because we're like, what is he going to do next? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> just, you never knew. Uh, but we would we, we would sit in his room, and he'd watch it be the great Santini. And he would like watch it, and we'd be like, what the hell is going on with this movie? And it was, uh, I can't remember the main actor, and I'll have to look it up. But he would watch a movie, and he was like, at the end, he makes a point. It's like, to a certain level, you can't avoid your fate. You're going to become your parents in some way. Mm. And it was like, 
he was a military guy in the beginning and he's doing this whole thing. He's taking care of the family, driving him on location to location. Mm. Uh, and then at the end, the son ends up hating the father. He's hating the father more and more. And the father dies for something unusual. Mm. And his son ends up being the one driving around the family in all sorts of ways. And it's, uh, it's just interesting how he becomes his father in a way. Yeah, what'd you say? Uh, Robert Duvall was the main character. Oh, the guy from The Godfather, yeah, yeah. But would you say the the movie was the, the groundbreaking experience for you, or the, or the way the the guy who presented it to you was? <laughs> I would say a combination. I did mm. dig the detail. When I laid in there, it was dark. Mm-hmm. We had all the windows blacked out. We're in his house, though. You just have to slowly walk over, and you like you trip over someone, and you just end up back into a couch or something. It's not like you're going to die. Mm. <laughs> It was his, you know, the way he told the story. He was a very good storyteller, mm-hmm. uh, but he was passionate about film. There was like several other movies. He would, he would just we were at this house, and he'd just make us all watch movies because he knew, like, he knew he was influencing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those kind of helped get me started into like storytelling and the artist story, and really into film school. There were there were quite a few other movies he had us watch. It, it really just. The experience of being in a dark lit room and you're just focused on the screen because mm-hmm. it's not the same anymore. Like, like imagine you can't you can't watch uh, 2001: Space Odyssey in a lit room with your cell phone on oh, and like uh, you know food going on in the oven. Yeah, you have to truly turn off all the lights, flip over your cell phone, whatever. Accept the fact that you know you're gonna be focused on this, mm-hmm. and you truly appreciate it. And it really makes you look at life and evolution, the story they're teaching in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. It's something I, I genuinely miss, man. It's, uh, it's it's kind of a culture that it's dying out so, some way, as, as cliched as it sounds, but... You mentioned that you mentioned cinema has changed. Like apart from everything moving to Netflix now and everything becoming a sequel and a series and all that, what do you think has changed about cinema the most in the last, let's say, twenty years? I think the storytelling isn't quite the same. Uh, okay. But as much as I want to hate on the storytelling, I can I, I can hunt down recent pieces that have good story. Yeah, but elaborate on that. What, what, what do you mean, like, uh, in storytelling has changed? You can tell they're reusing original stories. Like, how many Fast and the Furious movies are there now? Mm-hmm. Do you really need to have 15 Fast and the Furiouses? <laughs> yeah, it's something, yeah, it's something like... Yeah, originality has, has been lost a bit. You know, it's, like, uh, it's, it's all the, 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 the remakes and... And a sequels and whatnot. Uh. Yeah, like, I'm going to throw another one that, your way that might baffle you. Mm. I know here in the U.S. on Amazon Prime, they have this television series called Fortitude. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't figure out what it was going in what direction the whole time. And it really pulled me in. It was really well done story. Mm-hmm. And it, it is very timeless. At least I think in that way. Like you could be modern day society, but it takes place in the Arctic, mm-hmm. and like as if trying to build a, a town in the Arctic. Hmm. Yeah, it's like. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's 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 difficult for me to 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 nail it down what exactly it is. Also, like yeah, apart from storytelling, which which has changed drastically, I would say one of the things that has changed as well, and something that I don't like as much uh, as most people is the change from film to to digital. And what is your uh, what is your take on that? Because I'm uh, I'm team film, and team shoot on film. <laughs> what is your take? Well, film is, film is, requires a lot of hardware and expenses. Mm. Uh, but to top it off, there's a there's a big change here in the U.S. that I noticed in Chicago in the recent years is that everyone wants to go green and save energy and, and be good for the earth, right? Mm. I, I'm not anti that. I just I noticed the effect it's having. Is in the cities they did this in L.A. and then they started going to other major cities. They would replace the street lights from incandescent. There's kind of like a yellow amberish. Uh, lighting mm-hmm. and they've been swapping them out with this led lighting which is a pure white but it's more blue and it just does not look the same on film anymore or, or on you know on camera right yeah it's like it's it's it, when i watch old films they come across way more warm i think like like movies nowadays like with all those cgi and all that crap it, it comes across as very cold and yeah, that's something lacking, something that that old movies have, and it's just it just cannot replace it anymore. It cannot recreate it anymore. It's it's very weird. That's, that's a good point because even in Lucky Number Eleven, it's a very warm movie with the the yellows mm-hmm. and the amber. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and warm color is really pleasing to the eyes. Like you're not on lockdown, losing your mind inside your house. Mm. You're at some point experiencing the sun, and it's actually very comforting to the human existence, as biology, mm. to see that yellowish, that that, that that subconsciously tells your body, energy, mind, things like that. And and I'll be guilty, I'm, I'm, I'm very guilty of it. I will always offset my white balance to be a little more, uh, more warm <laughs> on my photos. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, where do you draw the parallels to, to your work as a photographer? And... Uh... I think you might be someone who prefers natural light over, uh, yeah, over artificial. It's something about that pure white, that blue against the human skin. It just, mm. it looks very alien-like. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Also, yeah. I mean, you could you could all sum it up in one word when it comes to Lucky Number Eleven, and that's style. The, the, the film has a clear style, a clear stylistic choice when it comes to colors and directing and all that, doesn't it? Oh, the, the colors, the schemes, it's it all feels pleasing and comforting hmm. from the lighting perspective. Hmm. It's like, it's, it's not really, uh, those are not movies I'm watching, but... I always like as comparison. I was thinking about like those fucking Marvel movies coming out, and they're one of the most ugly movies I've ever seen in my life. And I really, they look artificial. They look cold. And I like 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 watching a movie like Lucky Number Eleven, and I was watching it. I was just like on the laptop, but it was refreshing. It was really like wow, this is like a yeah, a warm movie, good looking movie style. And all that. It's the, the contrast is extreme when you haven't watched a, a proper movie in months. It's crazy. <laughs> Put it this way: that new Transformers movie. We're talking about no. It's like staring at an iPhone. Just that pure white in your face, and you're just like yeah. Bleh. 
Yeah, it's like it wouldn't say oversaturation, but but yeah, I think it is. You know, like when you you have seen The Godfather, of course, and there's like this 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 little anecdote of the the guy who who did the camera work. He's has been called the the Prince of Darkness on set because it was <laughs> because it was, it was so dark. But yeah, that's what made the style of the movie. You know, that this movie wouldn't work in broad daylight. My God, of course not. So yeah, that's the way. like every 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 color has to be represented. It has to be bright. Everything has to be seen. That's kind of like what studios go for. Not only with with uh, pictures, but also with sounds. Like film music also used to be very subtle, very melodic. And nowadays you have the Inception horns in every fucking scene, just like brrr, every time, you know. It is a big trend too. Like film music would be very subtle, right? And even when you hear the music in a film, there'd still be dialogue or sound effects mm. or diegetic effects going on the whole time. So it's not even just a pure sound of "Hey, here's the newest rapper" or "Here's the newest pop artist" or mm. reggae. It would be a mix. It would be very carefully curated for the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also a trend that's going on. It's yeah, not only like I'm I'm not only talking about the score, like the the composed music for the film, but also like soundtrack. It's uh, people are obsessed like putting like all those eighty eighty songs in there and all this stuff. Ah, oh, Jesus man, it's a it's a it's a pandemic in <laughs> in film. Like people use this because like uh, yeah, people remember this. People remember this is like from a from a better time stuff like that. Well, Hans Zimmer just doesn't get enough credit. Like, he's really managed to be unique with everything he creates. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound like the last film in his newest film. He, he's very, he keeps it very specific to each story. Yeah, but I'm seeing like a trend which I don't really like when it comes to Hans Zimmer. I gotta be honest. His, his stuff in, in the 90s versus now is... is you can tell he's either getting rushed or he's losing his creative mind. It's it's like when you have a good musician and their first two albums are the or the band. Mm. Their first two albums are amazing, mm. and then once you get the third or fourth album after having like a record deal, you kind of lose. You don't enjoy them as much. Yeah, but the question is a little bit: Is it Hans Zimmer's fault though? Because I'm seeing the trend overall in Hollywood. You know. Like it used to be more melodic. I'm thinking people like James Newton Howard. I'm thinking John Williams and all those. Like uh, James James Horner is not here anymore. But um, those people are used to be very melodic. Those are scores and melodies. You just have every kid knows them, right? But nowadays it's not. Um, I don't know if like everyone lost their creativity suddenly, or if directors are like, yeah. I don't want to to have like any melodies anymore. It's uh, I want to be I want to look more homogenic. I don't know. Could be a, a tough fight too. Is that Hans Zimmer is you know, he's he's a businessman too at the same time. Hmm. He could be stuck with where his clients are taking him, and it's it's like a, we brought up earlier. If, if you're really good at this genre, people are gonna keep hiring you for this genre. And next thing you you pigeonhole yourself is that one thing. Hmm. But the interesting is Hans Zimmer was is popular for what he did in the past, and in the past it where where those melodic sounds from from let's say a yeah, Lion King and all this stuff. This is what made him my popular, but Pirates of the Caribbean and whatnot, not the generic action copy paste uh, staccatos from from the violins he, he 
puts in in every every movie basically yeah well the dark knight his his uh, score in there was just amazing that was mm. that was one of those ones where he truly had creative freedom and really he really hated special to the mm. film mm. definitely it's uh yeah, it's, there are of course like like fifty sequels since The Dark Knight. We have like like Batman versus Superman, all this stuff. And I I watched all those movies, and the soundtrack couldn't come close. And ironically enough, it, it was also made by Hans Zimmer. <laughs> but uh, oh. that's the question: Is it the composer's fault, or is it the director's fault? You know. See, that's that's a tough thing. It's like I forget. It's like. Like right now, it, it's you want to free yourself. So, the best thing you could do in life is set yourself up to your own boss. Is that maybe Hans Zimmer is trapped by his boss as the director of his newest movies? Mm-hmm. It could have been the director he had on The Dark Knight, specifically that movie and how he directed it. That really helped drive his content. It's mm-hmm. it, it comes back to you. You are your environment. So if you're in a, a tough environment, they don't want you to mm-hmm. prevail. It can become unfortunate. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I'm thinking about is like the I think the the last three Star Wars movies we've seen the, the new ones coming out from Disney now I believe those three have been the last works of John Williams I don't think he's working anymore and I've watched all three of those and knowing what kind of genius John Williams is this was kind of heartbreaking because he th- th- there wasn't anything new there weren't any new good themes going on it was all just rehashing all those old light motives going on and that 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 was all that it is you know he just basically came on to to play a best of concert from from the old movies uh it's like like watching someone who just gave a monkey a gun and like yeah the zoo they're just face palming knowing just it's gonna be horrible yeah And and i'm thinking what could have been possible if a director had said Hey John, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you go until you have composed something even better than the last uh, three movies. Uh, yeah, he's just stuck there on contract, being like, "Oh, you guys are taking away all my creative freedom. <laughs> I've written forty songs. Why do you want forty more?" Yeah, <laughs> it's oh, it's, it's a tragic man. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing a trend there. This is people neglecting this stuff, you know, like music and sound. It's really, I mean, of course they're neglecting like script and all that as well but yeah film music has kind of died it's like like like, a little later in in a film has a huge effect uh it art department scenery cinematography it's Mm. it's like a a moving business Mm -hmm. Hmm. do you see any any turnaround in the future any any point in the future where film could maybe come back to his height because to be honest i was actually expecting it now that the the old pandemic is going on and I, I mean, i'm thinking to myself yeah that's that's the point where the entertainment industry could shine you know people are stuck at their homes people are constantly binge watching everything on netflix this would be a perfect opportunity to to bring something out but they are uh, yeah, basically failing on that do you see any kind of renaissance any kind of turnaround of, of the film industry going back to its heights i i look forward to it i'm just curious where it'll come from uh, mm. amazon prime and netflix they've got occasional gems that come out and just and like, like i said that one fortitude 
with Amazon Prime, mm. like it's it's really no one talked about it, but you read the storyline and the composition. Or uh, actually, Netflix, I found it very fascinating. I, I'm not hugely in love with every bit of the story. Uh, mm. Money heist. Mm, it's, it's a German one, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, it's it's actually taken in Spain. It's like they break into where they print money in Spain and they basically steal money from them. It's got a very interesting story of like just chess pieces moving constantly. Right, right. But the the music is actually pretty good, and it's there's some interesting things in there. It, it doesn't give me full faith to like the mm. the level of 2001: A Space Odyssey or like Apocalypse Now, but. It, it shows a glimmer that there's there's people fighting through to create quality. Mm. But I also see the trend of we're moving away from movies, we're walking towards a series. Oh, I mean, well, there's always going to be varieties in genres. I I just hope to God comedy doesn't die. Mm. Well, well, what's well lies your hope when it comes to comedy? I mean, all you need to do is have someone that does, wants to keep staying offended because comedy is about letting go, not about holding on. <laughs> you find your own flaw and you point at it and you enjoy that it's a flaw and you move forward. It's mm. it's, it's, it's tough, you know. <laughs> and when it comes to comedy, do, do you have like any director, any favorite director you're thinking about? Uh, it's... I wouldn't say that because I, I like the casual comedy where it sneaks in, like his smart assery and Lucky Number Slevin, or mm -hmm. the things where the comedy is a part of the movie. Where there's there's scenes in here where you could have people want to destroy and rip on it because of the, the dialogue, mm -hmm. but it's that snarky little bit of humor where you're like, what, what did you just say? You're like, you got a double take at it, and it's like it's keeping you interested. Right, right. Yeah, it's really like it's a. It's a... <sighs> I see the trend rather going to black comedy than uh, than actual comedy. Because actually, comedy nowadays is Adam Sandler movies, basically. That's yeah. almost. At some point, Adam Sandler is going to retire or decide you know <laughs> he doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I hope. Oh yeah, just keeps on doing all the same. Even though, I don't know if you have seen Uncut Gems. I think it's on. Oh, that's that's powerful. It was the. I think it came out in 2019. It was, I believe, the biggest surprise to me. I've seen that that year. Wow, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that at all, and especially not from Adam Sandler. That's the that movie was a absolute blast. He's uh... was, his character in that and the seriousness and the way he tries like this grimy levels to his character where it's like you understand the character that exists. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're like you're having a hard time realizing that this is Adam Sandler playing the character. Mm -hmm. this, this guy can actually act if he's being given a a proper script and proper director. Jeez, man, uh, just thinking about this movie is like like if if I had to describe this movie in one word, it would probably be anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> Stress. Was, yeah. yeah. Like, what a what a gem. <laughs> it's no pun intended, but yeah. Oh because the whole time I watched Uncut Gems, I was like, getting angry at like this movie just calmed down. Yeah, it's really stressful to watch. But oh my god, oh my god, very good. Yeah, occasionally you're right. Occasionally there are like gems coming out, but that's a little bit what makes me sad. Occasionally gems coming out. There used to be a time when 
you know, like uh, Oscars were actually a thing back in the days. Like Oscars actually <laughs> meant something. <laughs> you could get an award for really nailing a character versus just because you're the person they like this year. Yeah. I used to watch it like really religiously. One of those few idiots in Germany who stay up until <laughs> 3 a.m. or something, just just so I can be able to to watch the Oscars. I used to watch it every every year, and uh, I quit two years ago. Just just not interested anymore. I kind of lost it. Yeah. That that's dedication because I I didn't know when they were on, and I saw them on. I'm like I'm glued. <laughs> I was so checked out from them as a kid. I didn't appreciate it, and then. Mm. I got into college and I was like really into film school. I'm like, oh, now I see. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it was this huge thing, and yeah, I was like, I have to stay awake because it's. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna read it on the internet the next day. I want to see it live and all that stuff. <laughs> a real obsession. Kind of. Well, it was yep. a weird moment in college that uh, I didn't realize who it was till after he came to our school. The owner of our college still had a connection, and he got Liev Schreiber to come in. Oh. And uh, he was in the Manchurian Candidate. And mm -hmm. I think this is right after he'd done it, too. And I was like, how did we, what did we do? And our college was, like, two years old. It was a brand-new college, too. I got, I got, my college had an amazing marketing campaign. I'll make on that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they sold me on that bill of goods. Uh <laughs> But it was, it was just fascinating seeing the actors and hearing them really talk about the before and after. Because having worked on set and, and knowing what they're doing, it, it gives you respect for the mm. the systematic. And it's it's, it's a job. you got to be disciplined to do it. Well, now i gotta be, I, I got to ask you this question. I might be biased now, okay? Because um, as for me, I also applied to film school here in Germany. I applied for scre uh, screenwriting. I, I didn't. I didn't get a proof back in the days. Uh, now, now that I think of it, I, I might I might know why, because this <laughs> script was actually shit. But I'm a little bit biased when it comes to film schools. I might have a bad image on them. Would you would you say you, you learned a lot there in, in film school? Would you would you uh, let's say recommend it to anyone? Say so if you want to get into film, go into film school, or would you rather say do it on your own? You don't need to go to film school, you know. If you're really interested in it and you're writing scripts on your own and trying them out, do mm. it on your own. Mm. I will admit, I was 18 and I was probably one of four and the youngest in my class. Like, we had a broad group. It was like 18 to 40 mm -hmm. in our year. So I was also like the young kid trying to realize the levels because I had people in their 30s, like next to me while I'm 18, and they lived different jobs and tried different things and they wanted to really get into this. Mm. And I'm just absorbing all the information and practices. It's you have to depend on what you want to go for because I would never say go to film school to be a director. That makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's also a bit the question, like, like school in general. You know, I I, I think I would probably learn more about film in, you know, if I would actually practice like on some sets, on some actual movie sets instead of instead of film school. You know, you can. It was the most annoying thing, and then a reality check was when I got out of college. And there's so many jobs out there where you can get a PH job mm. for the day mm. or a few weeks. We're just getting maybe fifty to hundred fifty bucks for the day. Right. And as long as you have the right attitude, you don't need film school. You just show up, and you're basically an intern helping them out. Mm. Sure, I'll do this. I'm just saying to get coffees and do these little favors. 
But after college, I just found like those little gigs. I didn't mind because they're entertaining. Okay, I'm getting coffee and I'm sitting next to some owner of a company and I'm ready to go run an errand. But this guy runs his company and this guy knows him and he's their client and I'm just mm -hmm. sitting in a corner trying to like hold my mouth as I'm really curious and fascinated the whole time to just. Right. These people are kind of professionals in their field, and I'm just kind of curious and amazed by them. So you can do different PA stuff. Like it, it's all a hunt too. I'll admit the first few gigs, if you want to do something like that, are always the hardest. But it's, mm. it, it comes down to either you want it or you don't. And doing that while you're living at home and don't have bills or overhead, and if your parents are encouraging you to do it, it's the best way to do it. Mm. You could just go out and PA for a day for 150 bucks, where all you do is drive a van and you're transport and crew from different locations as long as you have a healthy interest and desire you mm. could casually make conversations to anyone on there and after a while they could just be pulling you in and pulling you mm. that's always the question because like the the argument i have is i know people who went to to school for like business but i also know people who like like have their own business never went to school <laughs> it's always it's it's the old thing you know, when you see a ferrari on uh at at the gas station i i don't think there's someone in there who went to school you know that's like what i'm what i'm trying to say when i look at when i look at famous famous people in, in in film i won't say actors but for example like like directors and all this stuff many of them didn't ever go to film school you know And I, that's how I look at my career after film school is I, I liked film and I got into it, but I, I just, I realized my, I have, the irony is I went to school to be a recording you know, engineer mm -hmm. and after two years doing that and trying to do it live for a living, I found I had a hearing disease, which most guys who do live sound hearing, hear, you know, lost anyways, but I decided mm -hmm. to just pivot my career and do different things in video and, and live production. It's totally worth it because I actually genuinely enjoyed that, and it was just something that intrigued me with those little details. Mm -hmm. It's like if you could be projection mapping a castle and you're point sixty projectors and you got to line them all up and get them so the grids look good. Mm -hmm. Well, you're that same level of detail and quality you had in the way you mix sound. If you carry that over to this, mm -hmm. it's gonna flourish. It's just a matter of time where you start really understanding what those details are and how to profit on them hmm. yeah that's uh, yeah um yeah I, i gotta be honest man like like i'm still biased but so like film school and all that stuff I'm, i'm asking myself if if you get the same amount of you know like like being like really fascinated about this stuff if you if you do it on your own if you just the way you described it just like just like working on film sets and all this stuff instead of You know, going back to actually school, sitting in class, learning about this like in a very stoic way. Yeah, um, it's it's hard for me. I'm not, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to downgrade it in any way. I'm not trying to badmouth it in some way. It's just it's just the way I see it. You know. Oh, if I were to do it over again, or to give any guidance, mine would be go to a trade school or carpentry, electricians, mm -hmm. like do something that. None of those things, construction never stops. People always need things repaired. Mm -hmm. Do that trade, and then when you, if you really want to do something else like that, mm. go out and use your money from your, your paid gig, because that is good money mm. and consistent. Use that to buy a camera or two and just experiment and do things with your friends mm. and just start filming editing. I know I've met so many guys that they're really good video editors mm. because they have the attention span and they love sitting down and editing it. 
And I've told people, I don't have that attention span to truly sit down for long periods of time and edit. Uh, I, I'm, I'm like the worst with editing my photos because <laughs> if I can't get it done in under four hours, I, it just is, we're not doing it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a big like shooter. Like I will get involved with people. I will talk with them and converse with them in person. Mm. And I will tell at a certain point, they are relaxed visually. There's a body language you're looking at mm. tells and say, hey, I got an idea. Let's come over here. And they feel relaxed in their own skin. And then next to know, I'm just, I'm pointing my camera in different angles and I'm really just utilizing light in the environment. And then they're like, that looks awesome. Like, just, you know, we're working through this because any creation like that, that isn't, you know, isn't manufactured the same way time and time again, like off an assembly line, it's going to take a little bit of time to truly create. I'm thinking like when I draw the parallels, you're actually camera guy and a director so to speak when it comes to photography right yeah you could say that i mean it's basically what i'm doing mm -hmm. i mean we we had a little conversation a few days ago i think about like like doing photos and and how much it's just like yeah capturing the perfect shot versus giving people actual uh you know instructions to do this or that and i think it's a very fine line there isn't it Oh, very fine. Like, I tell people time and time again, like, I'm charging you because I'm going through memory cards. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will get, like, a like a giant memory card. It's the fastest thing ever. Because mm. my style is I, I will tune everything on the camera so I can work in speed. And within, like, minutes of 70 shots, within that 70 shots would be two pieces of gold. Mm. But then I got to sit down and I got to look through all my editing and be like, no, 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 no. Yes. No, 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 maybe. <laughs> and it's just that back and forth to really figure out what that gold is. Mm -hmm. Have you ever like like did anything change in you in in the way you work, like like in the way you take photos? Like, I can I can imagine you have like some kind of routine already. You you've became a professional now in your field. But did anything change? Did you start when you started off with like photography? Did you have another way of actually working? So my, my original method is that I, I really did love Chicago for how beautiful it was. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved just walking around the city or even just getting bored and riding my bike. Mm -hmm. You can't look at Chicago the same way. Like tourists always walk up and down Michigan Ave and they look at what stores are going into. And so and they look at street signs. It's your, your habits. Mm -hmm. But then they wouldn't – like I would get up and I would cross the street and go into the median – and I would take pictures of like the fresh spring flowers because every year there's, there's a, a, a greenery company that they put all the new shrubbery, new grass, they put all new landscaping everywhere. Mm. So it looks beautiful and refined. And some, like some of that stuff's shipped in from out of the state. It looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I would just find the things that no one's really looking at. And I would just start to appreciate for a second. So my biggest change is that if my eye just without the camera doesn't start to just notice how it's different, I don't bother. But when I catch it with just with my eye, then I grab the camera and I jump on it. Would you say that some things on camera can be more beautiful than in real life? I I will say that there there's definitely ways you can you know use the camera to mm. truly manipulate uh, your final outcome. Mm. Yeah, because like for I've been experimenting with macro photography. Sorry, mm -hmm. no, no, you go. And using hinted lighting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's real, just close-up stuff with shadows. 
Yeah, because it's always what I'm thinking about when I watch movies is, well, of course, it has to be a certain movie. But when I watch like movies, like, wow, this is actually more beautiful than reality. You know what I'm trying to say? There's uh, a lot of scenes in The Dark Knight where I see how they film Chicago, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I've never looked at LaSalle Street at that angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives you gives you like a new perspective on all on all things. It's, uh, it's of course like also the pressure of you, what what you're about to capture. It has to be perfect, you know, because it's it's going to be on film and it's going to be in the cinemas. It's going to be on Blu-ray and all that. This shot has to be good. It's a, if if you look at it with your eyes, it's okay. It doesn't matter. You just blink and go away. But if you if you, if you put it on cam, it has to be perfect, of course, and. Yeah, it's interesting to see stuff like that. Well, perfect or suitable for your final outcome. Right. Is that uh, I accept a lot of my stuff going to social media versus mm. doing landscape shots. I've, I've been shooting more landscape shots as I get the opportunities when I do travel. Is to truly just get a nice wide shot and just take my time and open that focus up and just really absorb the environment. Uh, mm. A few years ago, I got the, the opportunity to go to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even shoot my camera because just right in front of me it was just I love the jungle. It was beautiful everywhere. Would you say there are also like sometimes <laughs> moments where you are not able to capture it? Uh, in that movie Contact, she mm-hmm. said uh, after she went is that they should have sent the poet. Uh, I don't even have words that can describe it. Mm-hmm. Is that those are times when. You, there's no point in taking out your phone or your camera. Mm. Yes, you can capture things all the time, but if you don't truly appreciate with your bare eye, the phone is, isn't going to be utilized like the same tool that you are capable of using it. I see this every time when like people are on concerts or something like that. I'm not much of a festival person or like concert person. I enjoy that kind of stuff, but it so always fascinates me. People put out their phones and like trying to capture this moment and like it's it's gonna look shit on your phone. The sound is gonna be completely destroyed. <laughs> what are you doing here, anyways? <laughs> well, it's like people don't capture the way it used to be too. Like the '90s and the '80s is like you and your girlfriend. You go to like a festival and you hear the song that you two both like. Is like isn't the thing is like that's the song you like and you're at a festival. You two turn to each other and kiss each other mm-hmm. or do something like. Don't just take out your phones and be tagging each other. Like oh, it, it's a different experience. Uh, and the mm-hmm. way you were, you bring up lighting and, and darkness with The Godfather earlier, mm-hmm. I can I can relate that back to uh, an interesting one that I noticed a huge one from my friends who do lighting. They uh, they talked about Nine Inch Nails when they played uh, in Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 2016 or 2011. It was it was there's a huge difference where they had a huge light show, but it was a similar style where the whole show was a story. As each song changed, they had these moving like light LED panels where they were like video panels, mm-hmm. and they were on carts and they would move around to the stage. And at first, you could see Trent Reznor, and there were like lights and beams from a form actually mm-hmm. pointing at you, the audience. And it would it would trigger with the time. It was like boom, but and the lights would trigger going outward. And it was just like they used more negative light in the absence of light to create more value with the shadows you do see. Mm-hmm. And you really don't see that in concerts. A lot of it's just light, 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 flashy stuff all the time. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the most recent one I saw was uh, 2016. I went to Spain to see Massive Attack. Mm-hmm. And they had a very similar show. 
But do you think, genuinely, do you think most of the people who are at this concerts are gonna be aware of the the craft that was put into this whole thing? I hate to say it, but it's most likely no. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's lost in them because the other side of it is that aside from the fact that the audience may not be uh, enjoying it, you also have to remember the artist is looking back at the show, the management of the artist, and then the people selling tickets. So other people are looking at it from the production aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, but yeah, I'm... I don't see you taking, taking videos on like concerts and stuff. It's always something that has uh, <laughs> it makes me laugh thinking about this because uh, I I did it as well myself. I did it once, and I was checking those videos back at home. And I got the audios completely off. There's <laughs> no chance you can capture a few things you just cannot capture. Yeah, it's the best way to do a concert, and it's 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 quite logistically it requires a lot of stuff. Is that you have to have multi-cameras. I think there's no good way to evidence a concert. Mm-hmm. Just like with film. Like a good film, you don't realize there's 20 cameras. Or there's 20 different shots and there's like four cameras on set. Mm-hmm. And it really tells your final story. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about... Have Have you seen like some of uh, Inyaritu's work? I'm talking like The Revenant and stuff like that. In the, the what work? Again? Sorry? Uh, I'm sorry, I missed that. The retweets work? Oh, no, no. Have you seen The Revenant? This... I have not. Okay, well, well this is like... I don't know if you have seen Inyaritu's work in any way. It's like this... He's like obsessed with this one shot, you know? Like this, like this uh, single, single take, I think it's called. And I've, I've seen directors jumping on this trend... Like, like doing like uh, <laughs> I think it started with with Goodfellas. I don't know if you know the the single take in Goodfellas. Uh, I'm not familiar with which scene exactly. Well, you know where where he's where he's taking his girl down to the restaurant and they walk past the the, the kitchen and all those cooks and all that stuff, you know, through the back door basically. Basically, taking you through her first time experience. And she's like, who is this guy? He's like, he knows everyone. They're treating like, mm. this table just came out of nowhere. It shows you who he has become mm-hmm. and what she's experiencing. She's like, what the, f- what am I doing? Like, who am I with? Yeah. And that's, and that's a beautiful thing because in this scene and in the context, it actually makes sense to do a single take, one shot. But nowadays, it's just like a, a kind of a competition, you know? People, people are like, oh yeah, I got, I got, I got a seven-minute one take. Oh, I got a nine-minute one take. You know, it's like there, there's been this movie out. It's, it's called 1917 by, by, by Sam Mendes, I think. And yeah, it's just like this movie boasts uh, over its like tagline, yeah, this is like a, a movie completely shot in one take and all this stuff. And it's yeah, I think people are missing the point. Yeah, because they're just trying to outdo each other, and they're not utilizing it to deliver the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, th- that brings me a little bit to the to the to the thumbnail I created for this for this whole thing, style over substance. Because yeah, of course, the one take can be stylish. Like if you if you don't cut away for ten minutes, it's, it's cool, it's stylish. But is there any substance behind it? If you just do it for style's sake, you know. 
Yeah, if you don't enjoy the style, even the and look at the rabbi in the in the little jiff you have. He's mm-hmm. got a nice suit. It's well fitted. He's got a, a, a tie on and I guess cufflinks. Everything's really aesthetically he's like a well mannered gentleman in the way everything's fit on him. Mm-hmm. And it's just really confusing because in the in this lucky number eleven, they don't leave their respective homes in fear of each other. So mm-hmm. who's he really dressing up for? <laughs> That's a good uh yeah. <laughs> got a good one. Hey son. Yeah, just 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 want to make me rewatch the movie, man. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's a, yeah, but but I believe that makes a good movie. You know, like we we sit here talk around this stuff about for for two hours and something. But most movies are like, wow, that's a cool flashy image. Wow, that's another cool that that makes a good gif for a tweet. Boom, that's it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's hey, like this is like a thirty second second of like. Fight Club. All right, you're gonna talk about Fight Club. It's like, what's really going on? Why mm. am I addicted to it? Mm. <laughs> uh, and I, I see this trend, man. It's all like those, like, like most most movies nowadays. I have the feeling they're being cut by, by the guys who actually do the trailers. You know, it's like like movies are being people who spend out the money. Here, I want this thing. I want it to look like the latest video on YouTube. Yeah, actually, yeah. You probably haven't seen Suicide Squad, not the new one, but the the one from 2017. And this movie was... Oh. Oh. <laughs> Don't make me vomit. And did you know that this movie was actually made, or I think cut, by a trailer department? Which means there are guys who, who normally just cut trailers, and it shows. It totally shows. I mean, that shows on top of how horrendous the story is. <laughs> So, so let me ask you which. I, I watch this. Like these guys are, are they, they committed crimes and they're they're you know they're supposed to be in jail in prison and mm. they'll kill anyone and they're like they're afraid of some guy who's keeping up seeing his family. It's like it doesn't read like the characters. Yeah. No one know how to write characters. Uh, Jason, I gotta ask you now. Which context did you watch this movie? What what, what made you watch it? <laughs> Suicide Squad. Yeah. I watched it and all right. Why is this a thing? And why is every uh, girl this Halloween wants oh, to dress see, up as this yeah. girl? And I was like, all right, I got to figure out what's this movie about. <laughs> and I was say I was thoroughly disappointed. Mm. So uh, yeah, I, I'll give that one a negative one. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was talking to Alex already. I was like, yeah, maybe maybe we're gonna. We're gonna roast this movie on this show uh, as well. <laughs> I mean, we might do it. It's it's too. It's super entertaining, man. Do do you? I mean, I'm talking to a, I'm talking to you now, Jason. I would consider yourself a genuine lover of cinema. You know, someone someone who really, you you enjoy good movies. You love good movies, but can you, can you can you enjoy, uh, laughing about really bad movies, or is it like, or is it like you can't stand it? Because, for example, I can watch Suicide Squad. I I can laugh about it because it's so bad. I can I, I I can turn my brain off and I'm like okay I'm not taking this seriously. Can you do as well? Or are you like more serious about it? That's that's my weakness. I I, I can't do that. And mm. I, I met guys who are, they're obsessed with '80s B horror movies. <laughs> and it, when I when I sit there, I'm just like, all right, I gotta go. <laughs> I just can't I can't do it. It's my my flaw. Mm. I have a level, and that that's that's beyond my level. No, I, I'll just get out the door and go. Let's see. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, see, I'm having fun and I had fun the last couple of episodes because that's what basically what we did. We did like a kind of like a roasting, we did, we did the roasting weeks on Ransmog, so to speak. And as for me, I enjoy it. I enjoy talking about like really, really shitty movies because I can actually learn a few things. I can actually learn a lot by uh, people making bad movies, but I... What originally made me do this podcast is my love for good movies, not my hate for bad movies, you know. And that's yeah. Maybe that's why I wanted to do Lucky Number Eleven mm. or something. I, I thought they actually had some genuine value back. Yeah, yeah. So just apart from, from Lucky Number Eleven, do you have like I had talked about a few movies, but Okay, if if you have if you had to do a top three so, so if I was like, okay, we 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 cannot talk about like Animal Slaven, what would be like your your second choice or your third choice of movie you would like to discuss? Oh, that's that's a tough one because I I did like Fight Club, hmm. just from the story writing aspect. I, I like how Gary uh, or no, it was Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, I'm yeah. really intrigued by his writing style and the way he looks at story. Not necessarily how the film people put together Fight Club and how mm-hmm. it's become a the cult following by people who truly don't understand Chuck Palahniuk. Have you have you have you read the novel as well? No, and I'm, I'm really that one's on my list. Usually, I go through like thirteen to fifteen books a year. I've, I've been a little bit behind this mm-hmm. year. No, I know I haven't read it as well. So, so that's what I was asking. Um, yeah. yeah. It's and I gotta admit, actually, The Matrix always sticks to home to me because mm-hmm. The Matrix feels kind of timeless too. Even when they are in The Matrix. You don't see Pepsi or Coca-Cola or Chevy. Mm-hmm. You know they're there, but they're not. It's it's just it's part of the world. It's the whole world. So I, I like that kind of timeless nature of the Matrix and how they went levels deep into every little bit of clothing and character. Like you can tell they thought about every word. And it's I, I like the story of the Matrix, but then as I got I watches like I know I, I like the story, but this is why I like the movies. Those little details sucked me in. Mm-hmm. Any particular scene that uh, stuck out to you? I mean, of course, Matrix is like a, I'd say, a masterpiece, but anything that, that really stuck out to you? It's, uh... Oh, uh, so this is the beginning where Trini's trying to escape. Right. And it was like, I think it was like, it wasn't Pulp and Lake. It was like Jackson Lake. And it hit home to me because I realized the intersection for the phone booth she was running to was like an intersection in downtown Chicago. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, I think it's it's Morpheus <laughs> telling her on the phone. Yeah, that's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. So they snuck that in there. Like the subway, it's not 100% like a Chicago subway, but it's mm. it's built pretty much like a Chicago subway. Mm. The, the, those are. And um, there's a lot of, they use a lot of subway inter- or a lot of Chicago intersections. It's interesting that you mentioned the beginning because it's actually my favorite scene. The first four or five minutes of the movie and the, the story behind it. That's just uh, <laughs> that's my favorite part of the whole movie. That's how, that's how you kick off. That's how you intrigue someone. And, and I'll throw a third one in there, which is a little different, but I, I really dig it. It's uh, Have you ever seen the movie Hackers? I did not, no. It's, it's an old 90s one. And it feels very 90s, very 90s kind of high school, college vibe. Mm. Uh, but it's got, it, it's, it really fascinates me in a lot of ways. This, the details and the character plot and the back and forth, it's mm. like, 
I can't help it. I'm a bit of a rebel inside, and just those kind of honed to me. It's like you can do whatever you choose. It's, it's kind of my career path. It's like if you you just do something because you want to do it and you're passionate about it, you're mm-hmm. gonna make money and you're gonna figure out how to grow it. Right. Don't worry about the other things. Yeah, that's so like it's just, just so much. There's just so much love in the Matrix. There's so much love put into there. Uh, yeah, it's. <sighs> It, it, it's crazy how much how much creative freedom they've been given to 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 make this to make this movie it's it's still so awful to me it's yeah it's it's very different in those manners it's this the matrix it's how much money there was i mean how much money do you really think the first matrix cost and they just spent the money focused on delivering the story here just Wow! It's like how many cars got destroyed? Mm-hmm. How many, every time their guns getting shot, you get so much permits and professional people to deliver every scene. It's custom clothes, uh, all the little scenes where they have the little uh, things embroidered on their hands, the little the, the robotic parts. Mm-hmm. Dude, that had to cost so much money to prep. Absolutely. I, I don't know if you're aware of this. I see it's like a tale from the internet. I don't know if it's actually true, but apparently the, the Vakovsky brothers uh, had like... <laughs> they they were given, I think, a budget of maybe 20 million from Warner Brothers. And they put all the budget into the air in the first four or five minutes. And they gave it to one, they gave it to Warner Brothers like, yeah, here it is. And they're like, okay, I'll shut up and take my money. <laughs> it's like they actually <laughs> risked... So, so I don't know if it's true. I don't know. But it's like it's like one of those tales from the internet, and it's uh, it's uh, it it also I think that's the part that makes the the first five minutes so my favorite part of the whole Matrix. It's like wow, okay, we... million, like that's the best way to ask. I want more money. <laughs> yeah, but but like just thinking, uh, they them messing it up. You know, and going back to one of us, like, hey, we we did like five minutes of footage. <laughs> Watch it and say, what the fuck did you like produce there? <laughs> it's like so perfect. But yeah, well, essentially what they did was they they did a twenty million dollar pitch. The the first five minutes are basically a pitch for for Warner Brothers. That's so interesting. Well, it's filming every department trying to. You're essentially you're never a full time employee unless you're on a TV show. But, even TV shows can get killed. Mm-hmm. You're going gig to gig, so you're constantly selling yourself, trying to up yourself or be more creative or be better in your own way. Mm-hmm. And it's really fascinating because to be good in film, you have to be competitive to some degree. You can't right. just be good at being competitive. Yeah, that's what I see. Like people, people kind of stop with that. People kind of... You said it's becoming more and more like a uh, money oriented and all this stuff, which yeah, of course movies also business, but yeah, there's like this, I, 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 I'm, I'm feeling like there's a lack of competence going, uh, not competence, like, uh, you know, like a competition. Yeah. There, there should be more push, even like comedy. I've heard some great comedians say, they become better comedians because they bomb and fail on stage. Mm. And because they've been through that enough, they start to just accept that that could happen. And they just accept that it's part of the reality and that must make mm. them better. It's it's like any form of creation. I, I would like to approach it. Mm. Absolutely. Here's another one I'm going to throw your way. Uh, 
I loved it when it came out, and it was so out there. Uh, 28 Days Later. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with Cillian Murphy, I think, right? Yeah, he was also in uh, the, the, the Batman Begins. Mm, oh, yeah, Scarecrow, right. <laughs> but his character, like, he, he just fell into the hero journey, similar to Josh Hartnett. And there was strong characters in that, and it was just a very bleak way of looking at the world and how to just come through. And at the end, you just realize they just quarantined the UK. They just said, F you guys, you guys F this up. <laughs> We're not going to let lockdown happen. We're just going to let you guys be stuck there. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> if we'd done that to China. We could have ended all, all of this uh, locked, all of this shenanigans going on. No one in and out of China. You guys stay there and deal with it. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that movie boomed so hard on Netflix when when the whole thing started. Like like everyone was thinking, oh yeah, I gotta watch like zombie movies now. It's so interesting. <laughs> like 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 in the beginning, of course, in the beginning I was like, oh maybe this is like oh maybe we're actually in danger, you know. <laughs> so so you're like oh maybe prepare. And the first reaction people have is. <laughs> I'm gonna watch some zombie movies now. It's so, it's so interesting, man. Let's curse ourselves and scare ourselves. We're already stuck inside. Yeah, it's basically like this is so like like when it's Halloween, I'm watching like horror movies and all this stuff. It's yeah, pff, I just don't get it. What's your take? I, I, you already said you hate B B horror movies and all this stuff. Did you have like a heart for for horror flicks at all? I think the, the the nearest one is like a like Dawn of the Dead, the original. Mm-hmm. I think it came out in like what two thousand one, two thousand two. Guess yeah. It seemed actually kind of realistic. Like that could realistically happen. Like they'll hide in the mall, mm-hmm. and then there's a gun shop nearby. There's just a bunch of people who didn't know each other, and there's some some dumb person inside who's obsessed. It's mm-hmm. like it, it seemed like a a realistic. I don't know, it just seemed like plausible. I wouldn't say realistic. It seemed like a plausible way to have. Uh, uh, some, a zombie thing happened. I mean, aside from zombies, because zombies aren't really plausible. <laughs> yeah, but it pisses me off that that most people in horror movies are like acting really, really stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's a killer in the house. What are they doing? Like, there's the there's the door outside. What are they doing? They they're running upstairs. I'm like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, because they always put a military like ex-military guy in a mm. horror movie and they make it like an idiot it's like you forget military guys like, you tr- they've been to Iraq and back or they've been to war it's like they've been to chaos and managed it and survived don't don't call them stupid like mm. experience things you can't imagine absolutely man. jeez oh my god Jason it's been a blast, man. Two two hours is nothing with you, man. My God, the 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 time it just it just ran away. It's crazy. We're just about, we're gonna get practicing. We'll go just two hour podcast. So uh, you're 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 just you're going for the Rogan thing. You're going long. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. We yeah, we said with Alex, okay, let's do like two hours at the beginning. I actually would like to go further. I actually would do longer, but it's like already three a.m. in Germany. Maybe, maybe I should like stuff now. I don't know. Are you are you like a night owl yourself? Are you like an early bird? What, what what kind of person are you? I am whatever my goal is for the list. So I am I a see. little determined in an unhealthy way. I, <laughs> I've had people tell me I need to calm down when working out because I'll do I'll free, I'll lose track of reps and I'll do fourteen instead of ten. And then mm-hmm. by the time we're done, I'm like falling over and like just keep going. Be like. 
Then you don't realize I just I always was keeping going before they even brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if you if 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 you need a if you need a safe space for being a perfectionist, I think uh, I think Red Smoke is a good place to start. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> I can I can I can sympathize with you absolutely. So Jason, man, yeah. um, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight, man. It's 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 been very insightful for me, and I think for the audience as well. Yeah, my pleasure. I I love film aesthetics and. Mm. And it's a, a version of storytelling, and we forget camera, lighting, word. Every little bit is storytelling. And really, when you sit back and look at it, you, you get kind of fascinated by it. so many ways you can deliver an idea. Mm-hmm. It's been very like like when I say insightful, it's like I had a conversation with an with an intern, you know, so to speak, like like, like someone like, like a professional. It really felt felt like that. That's very insightful. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was a pleasure. Uh, let me know if you ever got some interesting movies or ideas. I'll, I'd, I'd love to come back and maybe we can uh, do another one. Definitely, definitely. Jason, any, any, any last words you want to say to the Precious Rat Smog audience? Um, you know, no need to, to, uh, to say anything about your brand. Every, all, all the links are already in the description. Uh, if, you, if you want to say anything else or anything left, uh, the last seconds belong to you. I mean, it's it's all good. I, I appreciate things for the detail and the quality, mm. not for what people say they are. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice way to end the show, man. Thanks so much, Jason, for coming on. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody at home. And, uh, yeah, guys can see you next week for, for a happy 25. Until then, uh, 